0: I'm going to do a standalone message today. Take my text from Joel chapter two, and uh, it sounds like our neighbors uh, on Jan- here on January eighth decided to do something next door. So, uh, part of the joys of leasing a space, but it'll just become background noise while I'm talking. I'll try to ignore it, and if you do the same, we'll be good. Joel chapter 2, verse 25 and 26 says, Then I will make up to you for the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, and the gnawing locust, my great army which I sent among you. For you will have plenty to eat and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you, then my people will never be put to shame. Today I want to preach for just a little bit a God of restoration, a God of restoration. There are many things that get restored in our our current culture. I love old cars. Um, If I had my choice of old vehicle I probably would pick a 1972 Chevy pickup because from my childhood, I was born in 1972, my dad had one of those, that model style when I was a kid, and, and so I've always liked that, but in order to get one that looks good, you gotta pay a lot of money, or you gotta pay somebody a lot of money to fix it up, And but people will do that. They spend th- tens of thousands of dollars on and, and tens of thousands of hours taking an old vehicle and and restoring it to its original, original process and the original look. And, and sometimes they do some modern things to it. Sometimes they take it all the way back. And if you have one of those, you have an investment that will continue to uh, escalate in price. But I don't have the money or the time, and some people, they get into restoring furniture. Anybody restore furniture here? You like old antique furniture? I don't mind antique furniture, but I don't want to restore it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna strip it down, and I'm not gonna sand it down, and I'm not gonna refinish it. If you have an antique that looks good, then we may take it. But other than that, but people spend hours and lots of effort, and some people they restore old houses. I had a Bible college that had buildings from the 1940s. I hate old things. There, When it comes to a structure, plaster and water leaks, and the plaster just crumbling. I was like, that's not my cup of tea. The older I get though, I've been thinking about hair restoration I'm sure I'll never spend the money, but I-, I need a little a little restoring of the hair that is so quickly departing from me, and from some of you it's it's more quickly departed from you, but it uh some people look good with no hair. If I ever lose all of my hair i I to pay i't I don't know I'm not sure. I I look bad enough as it is now. Without hair, it can only be worse. Nobody gives me an amen for that, please. But there is a restoration desire that people have as they they seek to restore something old, whether because they, they like the way it looks or because it will elevate in value, because it will get better in value. We are a church that believes in what's called the restoration impulse where we are not seeking to reform the church and we're not seeking to just make things a little better we're not seeking to we're not seeking to just uh fix a few problems here and there but we are seeking to restore and to be a first century church to be like the church in the teaching and practices and doctrines of the first century church the apostolic church the book of acts church and so we do certain things i mentioned earlier the laying on of hands for those who are sick or laying on of hands for other needs that's a first century practice and so we go and we do those things the preaching of the word or worship or the the baptism of the Spirit and things that I'll mention here later, but it's part of that restoration impulse to be a first-century church, to restore the church back to its origins, not just to take what we have now and tweak it a little bit and call that good. Our text tells us today that God will make up or restore the years that were destroyed. Other versions, not the New American Standard that I put up there today, but other versions would say, instead of make up, that he would restore the years. And to restore the years really means to make up. He's going The years that they didn't have, all of the, the agriculture that they needed, he was going to restore this. This gives a glimpse for us into the heart of God, and, and it illustrates what we can expect from God in our lives today, that he is a God who... Desires to restore a God who desires to bring back from what is messed up and to bring it back to a state of restoration or a state of being restored. Joel here reminds us of God's restoration impulse. God tells Joel, in fact, to remind the people to bring to remembrance that this situation that was going on in their lives that he's speaking of it was in fact his judgment they had sinned against god and god had sent this army of locusts into their land to destroy everything and and he walks down these four different kind of locusts locusts are bad enough if you've ever heard of a locust swarm or seen that take place it's not a it can be a terrifying sight But here, God has spoken and has sent four different types of locusts. He sent a swarming group of locusts, and they came in. And by swarming, they're everywhere, but they're they're making their way more quickly through an area, eating everything that they can find. And then after the swarming locusts are gone, the creeping locusts come in, and they take more time, and they eat more of the vegetation and more of the green things. And then the stripping locusts. And then the the gnawing locust, it just gets worse and worse until there is nothing left. And God has declared that this was his army that he has sent to Israel because of their disobedience. The previous verses to our text describes them as leaving the land looking as though it had been burned with fire. If you've ever seen a land or an area that's been burnt over it's black, it's desolate, there's nothing growing. Just to the west of us in the Flint Hills, they they burn the land every year to keep the trees from growing and to to produce new and fresh grass. The Indians, they say, have been doing that for hundreds of years to keep the, the trees out so the buffalo would have grass and the buffalo would come back every year as part of their culture and part of their, their uh, way of life and their... Primary source of food and using the buffalo hides for all manner of things to help their lives to be better. So they've done that for a long time. But if you if you ever drive through there when they're burning it, the places that are burned are just black and there's nothing growing. It's all been wiped out. And Joel says that the land looked like that. It's like it's been burned with fire. And these are these are unusual locusts. They their head resembles that of a horse. I mean this is. This is a major thing, and he says that the sound of them coming through was like that of a cavalry or, or it is a crackling fire, a loud noise as they've come through and they've wiped out the land. The stench, it said, of the dead locust swarm was overwhelming. The land is left desolate, and in an agrarian society where they grow their own food, they're not running to the supermarket. It's just devastating. Their crops are gone. The land is burnt over. The people can't eat. Without pasture, the animals die. But once again, even though God is the one who has sent this great army, He doesn't leave it like that, but He says, I'm going to make up for those years. That there's going to be a time when, when even though I've wiped this out, I'm going to restore to you everything that you missed out on. He is a God of restoration. And so we see throughout the the Bible that God has a history of restoration. In Deuteronomy 29 and 30, God tells Moses that at any time when the people sin and at any time when there there is judgment that comes, that I will make it up to them. I will restore them if they repent. That I I will come back in and I will restore all of the things that have been taken from them. It is the pattern of the book of Judges that God would send his people into captivity for serving pagans, pagan idols and being in idolatry. And for 30 or 40 or 60 or 70 years, he would send them into captivity. But a new generation would come up and they would begin to seek the face of God and they would turn from idols and they would begin to follow after him. And he'd raise up a judge who would come and then bring them out of captivity. And for 30 or 40 years, that generation would serve him, and then they would do it all over again as as new people came on the scene, and they would turn from God, and they would serve idols, and he would send judgment. But then they would repent, just like what he had said to Moses. When they repent, I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to restore them. I'm going to remove my judgment from them. Nehemiah, when he's getting ready to go back and build the walls of Jerusalem, Once again, the walls of Jerusalem are torn down because Judah has been sinning and God has sent Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in to to wipe out the land. And God has had them in captivity for some 70 years. And Nehemiah comes on the scene and he says, God, remember what you said to Moses remember that you told us that if bad things are happening and if your bad things are going on in our lives, and even if you're the one who sends them, that when we turn back to you, you will restore us. You are a God who restores. And, and all that's great about what God did for Israel. That's wonderful, but what about us? Well, he, we have a history of God restoring his people. Even before time, Before we have seen this demonstrated. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. From the foundation of the world, God already had a plan in mind. Before he created everybody, he knew there was going to be sin, and he knew they were going to fall short of his glory, and he knew he was going to need to restore them, and he had the plan that before anything else, Jesus, the lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, and when the fullness of time was come. As Paul would write in Galatians, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law, and he came to redeem us, and Jesus when he lived a perfect sinless life and he went to the cross, died the death that you and I should die, was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he arose so that you and I could also partake of that, that we could die to self and we could be buried with him in baptism and we could arise to walk in newness of life. He is a God of restoration. And all of us have needed restoration and all of us will need it again. We have this need of restoration because for some of us, it is just a lack of relationship. There are those who they, they weren't born around church. They weren't born into a Christian home, a Christian family. Some, if you can believe this, and if you've been raised around people who know Jesus, but there are people in our world who have never heard the name of Jesus. There are people here in our nation who have never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have a relationship with them. They've never heard of him. They, they can't know him. And they need to know him. They need to be restored. They need to be brought back into the relationship that God has planned for them and designed for them. And I'm going to hurry. For some of us, we have a need of restoration just because of a, a lack of faithfulness. That we weren't doing the things that we knew God wanted. We weren't working on our relationship. We weren't showing up for church like we needed to. We weren't spending time daily in the word of God. We weren't spending time with God in prayer. And We need to be restored, not because we're lost, but just because we're not what we want to be or what he has called us to be or what we need to be. And, and then for some, it's we need to be restored because of just sin in our lives. We fail God. And it's not that we just weren't praying, but we just turned from him and we're, we're living in sin. And I don't have time to go in the, the limited time I have left. But Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son Wants his inheritance, and he leaves his father, and he goes off, and he squanders all of his inheritance, and he's living in in a gentile area. He's living in a pagan area because he's in the pig pen. And he says, "Even the servants have it better in my father's house than this." And Jesus tells this story. It's not a story of judgment. It's a story of redemption, and it's a story of restoration, and. The father is standing there, and he's watching for him, and he sees him a long way off. Oh, that's my son. And the father runs to him, and he he gathers him in his arms, and he cleans him up, and he puts on the robe, and he throws a, a feast. God is a God of restoration, and if you're in a situation where you're not where you need to be with God, God wants to restore you today. But there is a process of restoration And I would tell you this, that all restoration begins with repentance. All restoration begins with us turning from whatever it is that we're doing or whatever is going wrong in our life, and it it begins with that repentance and turning toward God. Even in Joel chapter 2, God calls them to repent before he promises his restoration. Joel 2, 12 and 13, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil turn to me with all your heart. And he, he, he uses this phrase here that's important when he says, don't just tear your garments. It was part of the culture when things are going bad and a sign of mourning is to get in sackcloth and ashes or to tear your garments. He's like, that, that doesn't do anything. I don't want you to tear your garments. I want you to rend your heart. To open your heart and say, I, I, whatever I've been doing or whatever I, I, I shouldn't have been doing, or whatever I wasn't doing that I should be doing, rend your heart. Don't put on a show, but rend your heart and change and turn toward me, and I will restore. He said, I will make up for the years of the judgment that came. Repentance is always the beginning, and for some it's a need to experience the new birth for the first time, which follows that repentance. For others, it's you've experienced a new birth, but it's, What is often used in Pentecost, we just need to pray through, which means to have that same kind of experience that you had before, to have it again, where you're recommitting yourself to Jesus Christ and recommitting to following Him faithfully. To live intentionally, to spend daily time with God and His Word. At minimum, doing the Bible reading plan that I talked about earlier. Or to use the phrase that Jesus said of himself, we need to be about the Father's business. Living on mission for him. There are blessings that come with restoration. And I'm going to do these real quick and then I'm going to jump into what I've set all of this up, a story to tell you. One of the blessings is this, is when, th- when you're restored and you're, you're back in that fully committed relationship with him, your past stays in the rearview mirror. That you don't have to relive the problems of the past and you don't have to face them again and you don't have to look in the rearview mirror and go, man, it's gaining on me, it's pulling me back. No, but it's going to stay back there. When you live a life of restoration, when he, he brings you to that point of being restored, everything from your past stays in the rearview mirror. Not only does that happen with our past, but we have a present that is filled with God's work and His blessings and His presence and His power. And we can walk in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. And we can have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And we can have His blessings and favor as we go through life. But greater than all of that is that we have a future that is an eternity with Jesus when he restores us into the relationship that he's designed for us to be in. They have a future home living with Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful that he is a God of restoration? He is a God who restores. He has a history of restoration, and we have a need for restoration there is a process and there are blessings for the restored. I was, if you haven't been around Pentecost, this will be a little, maybe unique for you, but my dad was a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. And as all Good PKs, paying attention and being at church every week. I didn't have any choice when I was young. It was just I was there. Somebody once said that they were drugged a lot when they were kids—drugged to church, drugged to prayer meeting. But growing up in the church and in Pentecostal environment. I would seek after the baptism of the Spirit, evidence in speaking in other tongues, and sometimes, as a child, I would, I mean, I'd pray thirty minutes, forty minutes. People would, they'd pray with you, but you know, twenty minutes, you're not getting, you're not really making any progress, and it's like, eh, okay, I need to wrap this up. It's 1983 November the 12th 1983 to be exact Saturday night John Kershaw preaching about the end times preaching about the soon return of Jesus Saturday night revival service Age of 11 It wasn't 20 minutes It wasn't 30 minutes. When Anna Lockhart turned around and said to me, do you want the Holy Ghost? And I said, yes. 30 seconds later, I was speaking in a language I didn't know. Couldn't wait, and I went up on the platform and told my dad and told the senior pastor. And the following Sunday night, not the next day, but the following week, November 20th, baptized in the name of Jesus.
1: I wasn't a big sinner
0: at 11. I mean, how how much could... Was raised in a preacher's home. I mean, I, I really did, I guess. I when I was six, I was smoking and chewing with the neighbors, but I didn't inhale. But they had this wonderful salvation experience and born again experience. Four years later, not quite four years later, but I was 15, I was at a youth camp in June of 1987, and we had this great service, and at the end of service, we had an altar call, and we were praying, and we went from that altar call back to the dorm, and Friend of mine, the son of Anna Lockhart, who had prayed for me, Stephen Lockhart, he's crying in the dorm. In this particular dorm, it was a big, a big square bed, bunk beds all around the outside wall, a big middle area where the showers and everything was, and bunk beds lined around those. And we were in the corner where we could be isolated and stir up as much trouble as possible at youth camp. Stephen was, was crying. I, I thought it was because of the service we had. and well, What had happened was his girlfriend for the week had broken up with him. But I looked at him and I said, Stephen, you have the Holy Ghost? He's like, no. I said, do you want it? He said, yes. I laid hands on him. He began to speak in tongues. I'm 15 at the time, and this has never happened before in this way. It never happened since. But starting in that corner, I just started walking around the dorm. And I could just look at people, and, and I just would know. That gift of the Spirit we talked about today, and I just looked at them, and I knew they needed the Holy Ghost. And by, by the time I got back, all the way around, 14 people had received the baptism of the Spirit speaking in other tongues. But four months later, I got my driver's license in October of 1987. That began a downward spiral of deciding to check out what my friends were doing if they were drinking. Well, let's let's see what that's about. They're smoking marijuana. Well, if they're doing it, let's see what that's about. In and out for some five years. Wasn't, I mean, it wasn't five years of continually doing this, but it was five years of kind of in and out of serving Jesus and not serving Jesus. Until a December night, 1992, a Sunday night service with a visiting preacher who didn't know me. But he called me up to the front, and he whispered in my ear, he said, he said, I see you as a little child, dreaming of all the things you were going to do for God. And when the call came, you walked away. And what had taken place at least at 11 and maybe before, was I knew God was calling me to preach the gospel. And that great experience at youth camp in June of 1987, confirmation of what God wanted to do. But there were other things to check out and other things to do and to be afraid of following his leading. So from that moment, I decided to give everything to him. April of 1993, just before I turned 21, I preached my first message. July of 1993, Crystal finally agreed to go out with me. Second best thing ever happened in my life. God is a God of restoration. He could have left me out partying and drinking and doing drugs and pornography. and But he's a God who restores. He's a God who calls us to be fully committed to him. He's a God that's constantly wooing us and saying, I've got, got more for you so my question for you today is this, anybody here want more of Jesus today, would you stand to your feet? And if that's your desire to have more of him and to to be more of what he wants you to be and to seek him and be more committed to him, would you just reach out to him right now? Would you talk to him? Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we praise you. We glorify you. We thank you because you are a God of restoration. a God who restores and you don't turn your back on us but you keep pulling us Lord and as a sign of surrender would you make it would you just step out of your seat whether it's to the aisle or to the front and would you just surrender completely to him right now Jesus we love you we adore you I'm going to take a step of faith right now God I want to be everything you've called me to be Lord, nothing that's in my past can hold me back from the future that you have for me. Nothing, no lack of commitment, no sin, no turning from you in the past can keep me from everything you want me to have and everything you want me to be. God, we give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. God, we worship you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for who you are.